0: Canada's mega union Unifor has declared itself the resistance to the Conservative Party. But is this political stance resistant to the will of Unifor members? We tackle that question tonight and more. I'm Sheila Gunn Reid, and you're watching The Gun Show. interested in third-party spending and third-party influences in Canadian politics. CBC's resident conspiracy theorist on all things Conservative, Wendy Mesley, had the founder of Ontario Proud, Jeff Ballingall, on her show to discuss how his small conservative social media meme-based political action group is shaping the way people view Conservative politics. Now that he's got his sights set on Justin Trudeau. Just watch.
1: There's been a report of a, of a fundraising uh, appeal that was found on a website uh, that shows you seeking up to seven hundred thousand uh, dollars from donors to, to run Ontario proud in some of these campaigns. That's is that true? Yeah, that was yeah. one of our memos. Uh, yeah, that was the, the election limit. Um. And one of the one of the appeals is for sponsorship opportunities of up to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars from an individual donor. So if you give, say, 100000 what what do you get for that? You get to know that we're fighting for uh, an Ontario that has lower taxes, um, less regulation, um, that's gonna, you know, was th- that was going to go help defeat Kathleen Wynne. That's what people bought into. They bought into our message and our, and our, our um, agenda. Do they get to place content on your, on your messaging? We'll work with them if it fits our mandate. So if you buy into what we're saying about our mandate of more humble government, more responsible government, um, then yes, we'll, we'll, work the, uh, we'll work with you. So you have a you have a massive database um, that's worth a lot of money to political parties or to anybody really. Do you sell access to no, that? No, we never do. No. Does anybody have any access to that other than, Just it, than you? Just us. But the thing is,
0: CBC didn't so much care when American environmental groups were dumping millions of dollars into their Canadian activist arms here to block Canadian pipelines and cripple the Alberta economy. And CBC didn't so much care as election after election big labor including PSAC and Unifor dumped millions of dollars into supporting progressive causes and progressive candidates to sway Canadians at the ballot box and CBC didn't really seem to be all that concerned that Unifor the union that represents thousands of Canadian journalists has declared itself the resistance To Andrew Shear in a comical photo that I literally cannot get enough of. I have to stop myself from making jokes about that photo because I imagine I'm starting to get annoying to all the people around me. I love that photo. So, joining me tonight in an interview we recorded earlier in the week to talk about. The influences of big labour not only in Canadian politics, Canadian media, but also around the world is author, researcher and activist Bill Tuff. So joining me now from Hamilton is Bill Tufts. He's the author of Pension Ponzi, and he's the founder of Fair Pensions for All. And I wanted to have Bill on today because he's sort of my go-to expert on how uh, big labor, especially big labor within um, the behemoth of government, gobbles up our money. And I wanted to talk to Bill today because suddenly... The CBC and Wendy Mesley, they're very concerned about third-party advertising. They uh, even had our friends from Ontario Proud on Wendy Mesley's show to talk about the impact of third-party advertising. But I know Bill has been on the case of third-party advertising for years, more specifically the impact that big labour has on Canadian politics. So Bill, I want to thank you so much for joining me today.
2: Oh, it's a pleasure to be with you.
0: Now, I wanted to talk to you specifically about Unifor. Now, Unifor um, put out that beautiful, beautiful picture of Jerry Diaz and some other union leaders um, in, uh, I guess, some of their Sunday best, calling themselves the resistance. But I think there's uh, resistance there, but I think it's to smiling and being pleasant and productive because... Boy, what a sour bunch <laughs> they looked like! Um, they look
2: like they're ready for battle.
0: <laughs> they look like they're ready for their fourth donut coffee break. Is what they looked like. <laughs> but I wanted, I wanted to. I have so many jokes about that picture inside me that I just want to spill out. But some of them aren't very nice. But I wanted to talk to you about the impact of Unifor on Canadian elections, and I think you're the guy to ask this question. Just how much are unions and if even public sector unions, how much are they spending in Canadian elections and what sort of causes are they supporting? Because it's not Conservatives, is it?
2: it no, that's that's for sure. They made that uh, very clear in that uh, that announcement of, of the resistance. And I'm disappointed to tell you that nobody has any idea how much they spend or where they spend it. Uh, it's been a contentious issue for a long, long time because I would suggest to you that the labor movement in Canada virtually owns uh, most governments from municipal through provincial into uh, the federal right now. Uh, they've always been protected and you know supported in their efforts to get particular uh, governments elected. So that one of the last things that uh, Stephen Harper did as prime minister was brought in a law that was called Bill 377 that was required that required unions to disclose how, where their money met, went, how much they spent and what it was used on. Uh, there's no record of how the, any of that money is spent. It's a huge, huge amount of money that go comes into unions every year. We have no idea if it's spent on training or recruiting, or I suspect suspect a large majority, majority of it is spent on political activism. And so that the, uh, It was just implemented in the last year of uh, the Harper government, and guess what the very first bill was that uh, Justin Trudeau implemented? It was the rescission of Bill 377 that was going to require the unions to disclose how much money they spent, where it was spent, and and what it was spent on it. It was a travesty. So we have no idea how much money is spent, but I can tell you a few things, though, about the financial situation of the unions in Canada. The, in the public sector alone, with the amount of employees there are spending $1,000 a year in union dues, the public sector union movement in Canada spends about $3.6 billion, That's billion with a B, dollars each and every year. And if a substantial portion of it goes into political activism, that's a lot of money. They run and operate dozens of websites. They fund numerous... NGOs and uh, non-profit organizations, which uh, when Trudeau came in, he made sure that uh, CRA backed away from audits on those organizations. And they must fund literally tens of thousands of people that are all all on the trail of uh, making sure that most of the union goals are achieved in governments across Canada.
0: Now, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Unifor specifically, um, because they did put themselves on the radar um, with that very dour looking photo. (laughs) Um, They are the journalist union, are they not? Do they not represent people from Global, the National Post? Um, So when their uh, union is saying that they are the resistance, what does that say about the media landscape here in Canada?
2: I don't know. It uh, makes you wonder what happened to journalistic integrity. Uh, Certainly there's a huge conflict. There's 13,000 members of the media which belong to Unifor. That includes not only the journalists, the writers, but the uh, people in the back office production as well. I would imagine that a lot of the editors are even, you know, members of that that Unifor uh, union. So it's uh, certainly a major, huge conflict of interest that they've put themselves into. I know that some of the uh, you know, journalists in Canada who, you know, maintain that they do have journalistic integrity still and they're not part of the uh, fake news consortium were very uh, concerned and alarmed that uh, their union would come out and uh, make it very clear that they were on a, a vicious political attack against specifically the conservative government.
0: You know, and that's that's the thing. They came out and said they are specifically against andrew shear so we can only assume who they're throwing their lot in with considering the ndp are basically off the radar as far as federal politics go um another thing i wanted to ask you about so Unifor is also the union that represents a large amount of oil sands workers so those are the plant workers those guys that's not the guys on the drilling rig it's not the trucking crew but the the high paying plant jobs um and uh, what is it? I, I I guess it's sort of indicative of the disconnect between the union management and the union dues-paying members when their management is actively advocating for policies and uh, political parties who are doing everything they can to block those jobs for the boots-on-the-ground employees.
2: Yeah, I don't think most union members are aware of actually what's happening in, in inside of their unions. And you are correct, the Unifor is a public sector. Er, I'm sorry, the Unifor is a private sector union, and they've been de- in decreasing in size fairly substantially every year as they have to compete with the uh, private sector market forces. So that today, about 35% of Canadian workers in the private sector sector are unionized. Contrast that with the public sector, where 80% of the public sector is unionized, uh, virtually all of the public sector. And once again, one further contrast, that puts some of what they do into perspective. In the United States, the public sector is unionized at the rate of 35% of their total workers working for government in the public sector. However, in Canada, we have that 80% of the total public sector working you know, for, uh, un- unionized. And so that you're talking about some of the things that were happening in the oil sands. Part of that huge amount of money that uh, flows out of the unions, 3.6, just in the, the public sector alone, probably a close to an equivalent amount in the private sector as well. They were the first ones to launch the, quote, dirty oil campaigns. Uh, I see they've st- stepped away from it since, but back in about 2000, 2011, uh, you know, as they were pushing for these uh, environmental issues, they were the first ones that came in and attacked the d- dirty tar sands, as they called them. Uh, we can see today what the impact of that is. It's an economic crisis for Canada. That the price of oil coming out of Alberta earlier this week was $12 a barrel. That's a catastrophic economic crisis. Uh, unfortunately, we have a finance minister who is not paying attention I don't know if anybody even knows who the finance uh, minister is he hasn't been seen for months on any major significant uh, economic issues that are affecting the country it's uh, a bit of a travesty uh, and you know that's where we are today I don't know where we're going but uh, you know I hope uh, people are aware of just how much of a crisis this oil situation is and uh, you know start moving very quickly to rectify it and, and get it back on track. Uh, Is the media going to be, you know, publicizing it, uh, making Canadians aware of what's going on, or are they going to have a conflict of interest because they're going into an election that's trying to fight against the, uh, you know, sheer and the uh, Conservatives?
0: Well, and and sorry to interrupt you, uh, but as you were talking, I just had, uh, you know, a thought about how... uh, Really, nobody really understands just how bad the economic crisis is in Alberta with the cost of oil. But you can bet your bottom dollar if cars being manufactured in Ontario were being sold for one-fifth the cost of cars across the border uh, manufactured in Michigan, Jerry Diaz from Unifor would be raising sweet holy hell, but he's not doing that same advocating for oil sands workers who are also part of his union.
2: No, that's, that's true. And uh, when there was a crisis in the auto industry back in 2008, 2009, the governments gave $10 billion to the auto companies for, for bailouts. The majority of that money went directly into the pockets of unionized workers. Out of that $10 billion, $4 billion went into pension bailouts that were extremely underfunded at that point in time. And also auto workers had a special health trust fund that provided health care benefits for them uh, when they retired. It was short $2 billion. So $6 billion out of the total $10 billion auto bailout went directly into the pockets of unions. And that's, you know, look look at uh, another situation, Bombardier. It's been on the... uh, You know, it's been a basket case of welfare bailouts for billions, uh, you know, for for decades. It's uh, Yeah, I don't know how we uh, got into this predicament, but uh, we sure need some political leadership to take us out.
0: Now, I wanted to talk to you a little bit. You and I were talking off camera and we were having a very interesting conversation and I'm sort of regretful that I wasn't rolling the camera then. But I wanted to talk to you a little bit about how these big mega unions, like Unifor, I guess in this instance, they often support progressive causes that fly in the face of what's best for actual workers. For example, many of the big unions um, often organize in support of open borders, but uh, importing a pile of unskilled labor actually only drives the cost of wages down hurting the worker now i have my own theories behind this i think that uh union leadership often doesn't give a darn about boots on the ground workers they only care about collecting those union dues um so we can keep jerry diaz in those ill-fitting sweaters um but what's your theory
2: yeah it's it's hard to keep track of it all the uh economic political situation is moving so rapidly that uh, what's happened is that our political situations morphed into not a right, left, conservative, liberal paradigm anymore, it's uh, about globalism and patriotism. Uh, The Canadian unions, with the huge amount of uh, money that they've got, you know, coming out of the the, the union dues of their members, I would suspect that a lot of it's actually going down into the United States, being funneled into a lot of those NGOs that uh, had blowback into Canada. Uh, on those anti-oil tar sands campaigns. The United Nations has actually come out and uh, very strong advocates of the, the labor union movement because I would suggest to you today the uh, globalist movement, the UN movement is extremely socialist and and neo-Marxist. That aligns uh, quite well with the political Perspective of uh, the labor unions. If you go into any socialist uh, websites, there's an excellent one called Socialist.com. You'll see it littered with uh, connections into the, uh, the, the the labor movement and all of those other um, cultural, political, and economic issues that they they have brought out. So I don't know how concerned the uh, union membership is with you know what's happening for Canadian workers, and they're more concerned about their leadership of the UN globalist movement, for example. Uh, a recent survey looked into political concerns of Canadians. One of them was it looked at concerns based on what your political affiliation is. For Liberals, the number one issue was housing. Uh, that wasn't an issue for uh, the Conservative uh, voter. Their number one issue was uh, finance and government and huge deficits and debts. But number two was immigration. And what's happening is there's no political forces that are putting the connection together between hmm, okay we have a crisis with affordable housing there's a housing shortage and it's become a major concern for the millennial generation that they have no chance at all of uh, being able to afford reasonable housing and there's just no housing available but how does that connect with you know open door migration where the top three cities in Canada are probably collecting 80% of the immigrants that are coming in, put additional, uh, you know, forces uh, pressures on onto that housing market. And, you know, let's, let's try and address some of these uh, issues uh, together. Yes. Huge immigration is going to be causing huge pressure on the housing marketplace. And you made an excellent point about uh, what's happening to wages. Canada, I would suggest to you is uh, in very bad uh, economic crisis right now. when you look across the spectrum from uh, the oil sands, uh, oil coming out of Alberta, the oil coming out of Alberta was always the number one leader for Canada coming out of a recession. And when there's such a huge gap between the world price and our twelve dollar a barrel oil, I can you know I, I don't know what the break even is on oil sands production, but it's about $40, so if this goes on much longer, uh, Canadian oil production will be completely wiped out, and and its effect on wages. The uh, labour market in Canada is disastrous. Uh, currently the year-to-date numbers are, produ- it's, the economy's produced about 90,000 full-time jobs, and in a typical year that would be in the range of 250 to 300. Thousand full-time jobs, so we're way short of what we need in order to keep the economy rolling and and moving along. Uh, our GDP is uh, pretty much flat. If it wasn't for government spending, it would be flatlined. And you know, looking at immigration, why are we bringing in another three hundred and fifty thousand immigrants into a flat job market where there is no housing, and the city of Toronto is having to buy a hotel, buy a hotel to house the Illegal immigrants coming into the the, the country. It's uh, it's you know it's quite a uh, show here in Canada. There seems to be zero political leadership prepared to lead us out of ma- these major issues, uh, and we have uh, completely unqualified partic- politicians that uh, don't even know where to start on on some of these issues. So uh, you know I'm quite alarmed and fearful about the future of Canada, and uh, I don't know what it's going to take to to turn it around, but. Uh, those are some of the things that we've been watching and uh, are very concerned about.
0: Well, and I think, too, we're, we're governed by people who don't understand that money is mobile, that uh, right next door to us, often sharing the same oil deposits as us, if you look at North Dakota and southern Saskatchewan, um, it, that money can just go south. We, we're next door to an American administration that is repealing regulations, repealing um, redundancies in regulatory systems so that they can drill on public lands and and get their oil to market faster. They're exporting natural gas now, and we can't even build a single pipeline to Tidewater. And when international investors are looking at Canada, um, they're just saying no thanks. And, you know, I don't blame the Americans for poaching a lot of our business. I'd do it, too, if I could. Um, But I blame the fact that we have a leadership that doesn't quite understand that. I mean, Rachel Notley put a carbon tax on uh, basic. The carbon tax basically only applies to Alberta production. Why would anybody invest here when you can just invest in North Dakota?
2: Yeah, that's certainly happening. The uh, billions and billions of uh, investment are fleeing Canada and, there's just so many burdens and uh, challenges for bringing that money back in regards to the you know, the huge gap between what the U- US GDP is producing and the Canadian GDP, the, uh, the, the high labor wage market that we're in, just the regulations and taxations that are affecting any new businesses coming in. The taxation's just uh, run out of, out of control. Look at uh, the city of Calgary. They were suggesting that uh, taxes could raise 25% on property for businesses. Like that's, you know, that's just damaging. That's killing business. And, uh, you know, we know that uh, business is the, 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 the heartbeat of uh, the Canadian economy, particularly small business, are being largely ignored. We have a finance minister, and uh, who knows where he is? He hasn't been seen for, for so long. But uh, last summer he was attacking small businesses as tax cheats and frauds. At the same time, uh, there was a scandal out of the Caribbean bank accounts as they uh, went in and investigated a, uh, a legal firm that showed that uh, our finance minister had uh, assets for his business that he kept offshore. Uh, who knows whether or not it was legitimate. Uh, some of can- Canada's uh, you know finest liberals were also uh, identified in that scandal as well. There was zero press coverage on it and, uh, you know, it was perceived to be a conflict of interest by the, uh, you know, the, the, the Liberal Party uh, taking us today. know, one, one other comment on the compact on migration, mm-hmm. which is there's been a complete cone of silence over the issue by the media, by all our, all our politicians. Yet uh, most of the world is uh, up in arms about the issue and uh, extremely concerned about the movement over the next 10 years everything's focused on something called agenda 2030 uh over the next 10 years the migration uh, compact sees the movement of 245 million uh, m- migrants uh, and just some of these issues aren't being discussed uh, shut down in the media uh, you know is it for political reasons or other reasons that uh, we might not know about but uh yeah i don't i don't know how we uh you know, bring 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 things back to a, a reasonable level. Uh, some some promising moves out of the uh, Ford government, in Ontario. Uh, maybe some of the other governments will start to uh, you know follow some of the moves that he's making. Uh, one of the things that's happened is the uh, Team Trudeau—they've effectively wiped out liberals across Canada on the provincial map. I'm sure that. Uh, the loss of uh, Liberals in most of the provinces across Canada have been as a result of the poor performance that they've put in and uh, you know we're looking forward to uh, an election next fall 2019. It'll certainly be interesting times to see how it uh, it comes about. I I would think the Liberals will be wiped out uh, the same as they have been across the the provinces you know in Ontario, Quebec, uh, and uh, elsewhere, I don't know if there's uh, yeah, maybe two liberal governments left in Canada. When Trudeau got in, most of the uh, provincial governments were liberal. So it's uh, tumultuous times and uh, time to put your seatbelt on. Protect yourself as a Canadian. Uh, it's uh, become very apparent that large, large businesses, large corporations don't have you, uh, your interests in mind. Certainly governments don't have your interests in mind. And, uh, you know, you've got to uh, make moves to, to protect yourself. In Alberta, for example, uh, after that horrible recession that uh, the, we, we went, went through uh, in the oil market, uh, just just within the last month or so, job the full-time job numbers actually got back to where they were at the time that the uh, Notley government was elected. And, uh, you know, they're worried and concerned about things that uh, don't have much of an impact on... Albertan families as we've gone through, you know, horrible challenges, uh, you know, look at the suicides, the, uh, the drug epidemics, the, uh, the lost jobs, the, uh,
0: rural crime,
2: rural, oh, the rural crime, the, uh, you know, the tearing apart of families, all of the traditional things that we have, uh, in Canada seem to be at severe risk of being ripped apart by globalist forces and, uh, in incompetent in governments, it appears that our Prime Minister is working more for the UN than he is for Canada. He's given away $23 billion of uh, aid to foreign countries that uh, none of it's investigated or audited to uh, see where any of it's gone. I would suggest most of it's probably ended up in the uh, numbered accounts in the Caribbean and Switzerland of the uh, despots running those those countries. So uh, nobody's really paying attention to what's going on, and uh, I would you know, be suspect you, they really had the skills that are needed to uh, make the changes required require to get back on track.
0: So, I, I guess on that note, I have two final questions for you. Um, what do the conservatives need to do uh, federally to uh, unseat the liberals? What do you think the number one thing they need to do to unseat the liberals? And secondly, what is the first thing that they should do once they're back in power to undo the damage that the Liberals have done? The one first thing.
2: It, yeah, that, the, the one first thing is a very tough question. I had the opportunity while the Harper government was in place to do uh, lots of consultation through various uh, parliamentary committees and in, into the Senate. I remember one we were looking at the uh, compensation of public sector federal employees and they were complaining about what they called an omnibus bill. It was about 243 pages that was being introduced and, uh, and, and put through parliament. They asked us to come in and comment on one half <laughs> of one page of that omnibus bill. At one point in time, when that one half of a page had been implemented, it would have been a, a, a full act of uh, legislature. And so that was how much debris and uh, had had to be cleaned up, you uh, know, Ontario, uh, they've estimated 385,000 redundant regulations need to be wiped out, cleaned off. Uh, Nobody has been paying attention to, to governments for years. And uh, oh, oh, remind me of that first question again.
0: Oh, the first question was, what did the Conservatives need to do to get rid of the Liberals? Because my concern is they're not going to do it. So what do you think they need to do?
2: Well, personally I, uh, as a libertarian uh, conservative, uh, you know, strong supporter of uh, conservatism for a long time, I was happy to see Bernier get into the race. I think what he had the opportunity to bring about was the conversation of a lot of conservative issues that had become third rail issues and uh, other issues that they they call the Overton window. They weren't allowed to talk about them because they were trapped inside of the the Overton window. So I think that... uh, Bernier will end up being a release valve for a lot of conservatism. I don't I think uh, after having seen what has happened to liberals across the provinces, I'm not too concerned about uh, Trudeau getting elected. However, there are a couple of things out there that I can talk about if you have more time sure. about what, which are an extreme risk. So I think uh, the Conservatives just uh, you know they're okay uh, sticking to the what I call the, the mushy middle the NDP are so far left out there, they, you know, are, you know, they should be, uh, you know, flying the uh, the old Russian uh, Soviet Union flag, and Trudeau has obviously become hardcore, hardcore left, especially at a time when populist governments have been sweeping the world, have been sweeping Canada as well with the uh, Quebec election, and also with the Ford election. I think Trudeau was uh, brought in as a populist himself, although not uh, right-wing populist. uh, There are a couple of left-wing populists. uh, Macron, who left his socialist party in France and formed a new party, and the uh, new president down in in Mexico as well. However, uh, the liberals will do everything and anything that they can to keep power. One of the things that they recently did was brought 2 million voters onto the uh, election rolls. They uh, expanded the rules for foreign residents, Canadians, who live outside of the country to to vote in the next election. There was 2 million of those. A lot of them will never return to Canada and, uh, you know, haven't lived in Canada for years, but they'll be allowed to vote. That was Bill C-76. Also earlier this year that nobody paid much attention to was Bill C-33. And when we look at that in conjunction with the uh, Compact on Migration, that basically gives uh, migrants the same rights in any country that they land in as the uh, citizens of that country. Uh, Bill C-33 put, uh, I'm not sure what the numbers are, but I'm, gonna say, I'm estimating about 3 million non-citizen permanent residents onto the voter rolls. So I think you'll see some movement to try and get, uh, they've already got those 2 million non-residents uh, eligible to vote, and I think you'll see a movement towards getting permanent residents who are not Canadian citizens, about uh, 3 million of them, uh, the ability to to vote as well. So that would bring in 5 million uh, additional voters, which I think the uh, pundits and probably the Liberals themselves see as uh, voters who would be supporting them in an election. So it's uh, going to be a battle right down to the wire, uh, interesting turbulent times. Uh, in Canada, that's for
0: sure. Especially when the Conservatives have to uh, push back against both the Liberals and their undeclared press secretaries in the uniform media. Um, Bill, <laughs> I would want to give you a chance to uh, plug your social media, plug your book, uh, any places that people can reach out to you or that they can get in contact with you?
2: Yeah, just the, uh, I'm not uh active with my uh, p- pension organization uh, we uh, pushed that very hard for for 10 years mm-hmm. it got us a lot of places uh, into the senate the house the finance committees uh right across the country and to you know front of mayors and premiers and across the media and it still still went nowhere and the, the government employees still have their uh gold-plated pension plans about you know fourteen thousand of them in ontario alone will be retiring over a $100,000 a year, starting at age 58. And uh, public sector be- employees now live about uh, eight years longer than the rest of us because of those huge, huge pensions as well. But the number one issue that we have been following is the compact on migration. And it's uh, being signed in December, there's been zero uh, discussion in the the mainstream media, there's been zero discussion by politicians about it. So it's going to be a a ground uh, grassroots movement for people to become aware of it and watch what's happening. I would encourage and urge everybody to sign the petition on the uh, Compact of of Migration. Watch it closely because it's uh, part of a a new initiative that's being launched by the United Nations as they've got the three main players together. That's the labor union who are the stormtroopers of the globalist union movement, you've got the UN itself, and then you've got uh, corporations who are jumping on board with the promise that they'll be participating in what the uh, UN estimate needs is going to be about $7 trillion a year in spending in order to meet what they call their sustainable development goals. So it's interesting if you go onto any major Canadian corporation and type SDGs in there, you'll see a coloured chart. That has come from the agenda 2030 that's uh, part of their 17 goals that they are trying to implement around the world. The uh, compact on migration is just one of the uh, compact coming out of one of these 17 goals. And uh, people will be quite staggered uh, to see what it involves. The last federal budget, 2018, listed the uh, the goals and objectives that they were trying to achieve as the goals of Agenda 2030, and uh, it was quite shocking to actually see something that had been considered the longest time conspiracy tin hat theory, actually in the Canadian federal budget, along with the S SDGs. Uh, So we've got a, uh, as I mentioned earlier, a new world of politics that's based on patriotism and nationalist sentiments, which uh, the media and Left-wing politicians are trying to demonize, I urge, uh, you know, Canadians that nationalism is a good thing. You have a right to be proud of Canada and you really need to fight for what we've got and what we've uh, preserved so far. So those, that's probably the number one issue of concern right now that I'm watching is that uh, compact on migration. And uh, I'd encourage people to investigate a little further on their own about it.
0: Well, and I would go one step further. I would encourage people to contact their Conservative MPs and tell them to find the intestinal fortitude to fight against political correctness and stand up for Canadian sovereignty. Because I think some of them just might if they knew they had the backing of the majority of Canadians.
2: Here, here, I <laughs> agree with
0: well bill i want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today you're always so generous with your time and i feel like we could gab forever um but uh let's wrap it up and hopefully you'll come back on the show one more time to talk about another very pressing issue
2: yeah there's going to be lots of them coming anyways it's uh, great to talk to you and uh congratulations on all the hard work and effort that you make at the rebel and uh I hope uh, Canadians appreciate uh, all that you do for for our country.
0: Well, thank you, Bill. I'm just another cog in the conservative wheel. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Bill. I'm not against big money in Canadian politics as long as that big money is actually Canadian. I don't want anybody, conservative or otherwise, funneling money from other countries to influence Canadian elections. But I believe your money is also your free speech, and you can spend it to support whatever political cause you want to support. And I'm certainly against two different sets of rules, one for unions, and one for everybody else who wants to participate in the political process, especially when it comes to disclosure and the truth about where the money is going and what the money is meant to do during a political campaign. And because I believe money can be a form of free speech, I'm also against compelled union dues. Because I know and you know there are many oil sands workers who don't want their money going to support progressive causes that oppose pipelines. But they don't have a choice because they are in uniform. They don't get to treat their union dues like free speech the way I get to treat my political donations that way. It's time to free the union workers from forced union dues. And maybe, just maybe, union boss Jerry Diaz will have a little less money in his pocket to waste on his pet NDP and liberal causes and his ill-fitting sweaters. Well, everybody, that's the show for tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll see everybody back here in the same time, in the same place next week. And remember, don't let the government tell you that you've had too much to think.